I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. On this episode of Red Receipt, we're sitting down with Laura Taylor. She waved goodbye to a busy tech career to bring us Mingle Mocktails, reshaping the social experience by offering elevated, alcohol-free drinks. We're unpacking her journey, what decisions led to her founding the brand, and gleaning some of her essential lessons along the way. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Where uh, where are you based out of? Uh, I'm in Philly. Are you from Philly originally? Uh, no, I'm actually from San Diego. I've said that I've traveled in the wrong direction. After college, I started my career uh, in the Midwest in Milwaukee and met my husband. I was planning on going back to California, but I got stuck in Chicago with him for almost 20 years. And then we moved out to Philly for like a three year thing it was supposed to be. And then our kids got locked into school and stuff. So we're kind of stuck here for a bit. And what what brought you to Chicago originally? And then um so my first job out of college, I I was an industrial engineer and I signed on with a company named Rocklaw Automation Allen Bradley, which is headquartered in Milwaukee. And their focus isn't on like industrial manufacturing computers and controls. So I actually lived in Milwaukee for six months with 15 other recent college grads, mostly guys. And uh, my husband was the advanced trainee training our class. So never, yeah, never planned on Milwaukee. I usually just, you know, generalize to Chicago, but it was actually Milwaukee for six months. Crazy. Your background is so different from what you're doing now. Yeah, but it's actually come full circle. My, I had a, like a minor in packaging. I loved that whole world. And my senior project was an upside down ketchup bottle of all things, pre Heinz. So just saying, I still have the report. Yeah. Yeah. And um, (laughs) so, you know, was that your idea to do that, to do that project? (laughs) Oh gosh. I wish you would have sold it too. Oh my gosh, it would have it would have changed things in a yeah. What it could have should have. But in that first job, like my my job was walking the plant floors of manufacturing facilities, ranging from Nabisco cookies to U.S. Steel to Jay's potato chips. So I feel like it really kind of came around to here I am again, and I feel very comfortable walking on a plant floor, whether it's a bottler, co-packer, you know, can company, it's, it's been, it's been nice. So my, I can honestly say my degree has helped me. Were you doing engineering and uh, just like overall production oversight for those, those types of businesses? Uh, No, I was actually a sales engineer. So my responsibility was selling them 
push buttons, sensors, industrial computers. Uh, like there's, there's like all sorts of controls that go into a manufacturing line. If you think about all the things to make it possible and Alan Bradley was, and still is like one of the best U S based companies. So like their biggest customers are those, um, like steel has kind of taken a turn, but automotive, uh, CPG, um, you know, really any man, any manufacturing or processing site. So, yeah. And what was your career trajectory after, after that initial taste of that industry? Well, my territory was Northwest Indiana. So I was literally driving into Gary, Indiana, you know, at like 6 30 AM with, um, greens and steel toe boots, hard hat, going into the steel mills, which was like a really awesome uh, prized position in our company because they did such high volume sales. But I was like, I don't, this is not, I want a corner office. I want to work in business. You know, I love corporate. So uh, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, you know, their US headquarters are in Chicago. And I I locked in on a friend who worked there and I kind of forced my way in to Accenture. It, it was Anderson Consulting the last year I was there. And I joined Accenture as a strategic alliance manager. So I was able to get out of manufacturing and into consulting and services. And from there, I really grew as a, like a relationship strategic joint business manager and rose in that world to manage the prize relationship of SAP, which is a software company. So I managed a relationship between Accenture and SAP. And then from there, I worked for IBM and then Tableau Software. And uh, that's where I kind of ended my run in tech. And did you have like a specific focus within all that was like a thread throughout all of those, those roles? The overarching uh, goal was to generate as much joint revenue as possible through joint strategic initiatives. So if you think about Chips Ahoy cookies, I think they're, they might still yeah. be owned by Nabisco. So um, Accenture may do the business consulting for Chips Ahoy to do their business strategy and SAP may do their back office finance and ERP. And so our goal is to work with both companies to maximize the sales with Chips Ahoy to get the most out of it. So we would uh, lean into industry-based programs for like food and beverage to cater to exactly what they need and then bring the sales forces of both parties together to say, okay, guys, we need to work tighter to double these sales. And so... It was called like strategic alliance management and both companies leaned into those areas because the, um, the amount of revenues generated was in the billions. So if you could get enough, like five, 10, $20 million deals, which is how much they were, they add up over time. So, um, but as far as my skill set in that area, it was really around um, cultivating business relationships with people in all sorts of backgrounds and levels. So I would facilitate 
top to top CEO uh, touch points to industry roundtables to, you know, just a, a regular, you know, business planning session to uh, account specific reviews. And um, it really gave me the full view of an organization because I was inside theirs and engaging with the inside of ours and, you know, pulling from engineering and, and sales, you know, and customer support. So um, it really allowed me to understand how various organizations are structured internally. You know, even an IBM, which is insane, but I know I now know how they're structured. Um, you know, did you have a natural knack for building connections like that? It, it almost seems like you were like synthesizing different information that might not have any connection to try to find new opportunities that maybe the company itself inside was too close to see. I love how you phrase that. I mean, that sounds so magical. Um, I was a people pleaser and I wanted to make people happy. And um, I was, I've always been very goal oriented and structured. So um, I had to learn how to build relationships and sales. And I may like on my own time, I'm not extroverted, but I have a curiosity around other people and I really can empathize with other people professionally and personally. And I think that skill set, taking that mindset into business, um, I think women are pretty good at it in general, but I really honed that skill of before a CEO meeting, I'd really kind of like look at that individual's background and see, do they have kids? Where did they go to school? What are their interests? Do they run races? Do they like a team? So that when we went into the meeting, I'd, I'd be prepared on the business side, but I'd have a comfort level for things that are interesting to them. So that when we started engaging in the meeting, it's not just a transaction, it's a little more memorable and thoughtful. Yeah, I find running like workshops or brainstorms I mean, that's like an art. Oh, yeah. That's an art. And those big companies like IBM, they charge for it too. So <laughs> there's those, yeah, yeah the, there was a name of those workshops. They had programs for that as well, uh, like discovery workshops or something to help clients brainstorm in a, in like a, an organized manner to create a space for yeah. um, any idea is an okay idea. And, extracting those ideas out. But that was just one one part of the business. At the end of the day, you know, one company's trying to sell software, the other one's trying to sell services and just keep those beasts happy. I've been a part of a few of those with um IDEO. Did them for a company that I worked with uh that was owned by VF, who owns Vans and Timberland and the North Face. And uh I always enjoyed them. I also was always curious like does anything real ever actually uh, come out of these? I find it hard hard to track sometimes. They're almost like a theoretical exercise that is very satisfying for everyone involved. But then I'm not sure, at least in that business, like how much really materialized in. Yeah, I would say that's where working for a small company or a startup. You can take that curiosity and apply it within the week or even the same day. So to me, yeah. that's the freedom I enjoy where I had all this discipline and experience, but pushing it through 
you know, a 7,000 person organization, let alone a 200,000 person organization was almost impossible because you have so many hierarchies to go through. But when you own your own business or you're working in a startup, you get, maybe you just need one person to believe in the idea and then you test it out. And if it doesn't work, then you go on to the next idea. That's, I think it's very scary, um, but also very exciting to have that freedom yeah. to, to experiment. Did you have an idea uh, early on in your career that you wanted to start something on your own at some point? I really didn't. So I do remember a couple key things growing up. Like my dad was an engineer as well. And he came up with this idea with a friend, which I thought was brilliant, which was to have truck containers that are transporting avocados through long distances to ripen the avocados as it's being transported. So accelerate the ripeness. So you may have those hard avocados, but by the time they get to the store, they're like almost perfect. And somebody, they, they found the technology and somebody else took it. So that, that was like, it was a great idea. And then my mom, who is, she, she was not an engineer. She was always working and doing various jobs, but she came up with this idea, as she told me, for a, um, a net that she would put in the back of her car to organize all the grocery bags. And this was like, yeah. you know. 45, <laughs> 50 years ago. It, there's, and now you see there's all sorts yeah. of gadgets for that. I'm like, Mom. Yeah. So when I think about when I had this fear of what am I doing with this idea? Do I even want to take this forward? I never had that curiosity. I was very much goal oriented. I want to make money. I want to be financially independent. I want to be successful. I want to earn my own, you know, success based on my own accomplishments. And when I came across this concept, I really thought back to um, pe people in my family, like my grandfather and, and my mom and my dad going, I don't want to have that FOMO. Like, I don't want to have that regret. So when I share, especially with women who are exploring new areas to push themselves into, I always say, go for it. Because then like on my last you know, day on this earth, I won't be like, geez, I really wish I came up with that mocktail company because um, look at all the yeah. brands. You know, now I can say I, I did it. And if it failed, at least I would have known I tried. So. Yeah, I, I definitely live my life that way. I think in most cases, not all the time, obviously. You possibly have. Uh, I mean, obviously the failures suck, but they are also, I just felt like at a young age, like it, it's more uh, important to me to have an interesting life. Like I want to be interested in my own life. So I might as well try doing things. But at the end of it, I get a story out of it. Pretty worthwhile. I think that's an amazing mindset that I, I would not be able to wrap my head around, especially 20 years ago. To me, that sounds so um, aspirational. Well, it's harder with kids. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Harder with kids. Do you have kids? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I have two kids. Uh, I've done, I've done like probably four different businesses at this point. I've worked in like the corporate world too for VF for like about six years. 
but I didn't go to college. I knew the whole time. It was either like I knew that I wasn't, uh, wouldn't do well, <laughs> or I knew that I just was going to have like my own path in life. My parents were definitely not like that thrilled with it, but I was pretty decided on it early on. Like I just had no interest in school. I was like trying to start companies in high school or make, I was doing stuff in high school that was like that. And I, I just found the torment of it, uh, addicting. I mean, unfortunately so, because it is tormenting and, but I just remember even in middle school, like I built, I would build basically like me and my friends would spend all of our time building these like little, uh, mini motorcycle things that we like welded together and we would spend so much time on them and i remember i hated it like i i hated it because it was so much time and effort but i loved the outcome of it that i just spent all day every day doing it and i feel like doing business is like the exact same thing it's like really hard it's pretty painful the entire time and then like at the end hopefully it's pretty satisfying looking how far you've come compared to where you were so I just really liked the cycles of that and I felt like when I got into the corporate world it was like an opportunity to get an education without going to school and so my view was just like I'll get paid I'll travel the world and I'll learn a bunch and almost like legitimize myself to myself and then but I, I knew the whole time I felt and I would say this all the time like I just hope I don't get addicted the paycheck too much that I'm unable to release it. So I feel like I was lucky enough to release that earlier when I didn't have kids, which allowed me the space to fuck up and find my way. That's phenomenal. I, I that was do. A long, that was a long story. No, but I love it. I love the discipline of corporate, the corporate world. I do not miss the politics. I mean, I have a lot of yeah. like learnings from situations where I'm like, wow, that was really nasty, you know? And, um, but I loved the discipline. I also traveled the world for work and I loved it and experienced so many different cultures and saw so many, like going into India and seeing how all these major companies actually outsource their businesses. Yeah. It was fascinating. So I do feel like I have, it's not a truly global mindset, but I have a global perspective. And um, yeah. I also, the thing that really pushed me into leaving that, that corporate world, which I really loved and adored in general, was my husband said, you can always go back. And so that's my, that's the statement I use to myself at times when I'm like, I'm not sure you know, do I want to go forward with this new packaging design or this new packaging partner or this new flavor? Um, and I go, you know what, you can always change. And just having that permission that it gives me safety in proceeding where, yeah. where 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I might not have done that, you know? Yeah, I uh, that resonates with me a lot. I feel like that was a big mental shift. I heard somebody say like, if you have a decision in front of you that you could easily reverse, you should just make it quickly move on and then reverse it if you need to. 
right? The stakes are not that high. And uh, what they were mentioning is most people make decisions like they're all equal and that they, the reversibility of them is all the same. And it's not really worth that much effort in most cases if you can reverse them. Like you should just move. I love that. Move. I'm going to remember that when I'm, I'm when I'm like stuck in a in a funk about yeah. something and be like, do I does this really require that much time? Yeah, they talk about they talked about the criticality of decisions and that most decisions don't have that high of criticality in a business in general. Like there might be few decisions that are that critical to a business's success or failure, but that most people ch choose to deal with all of them relatively similarly, which is for sure true of myself too. That's like neurotic mind. <laughs> Well, as long as you're aware of it, you know, and that's something else, having self-awareness and knowledge of how you kind of tackle things is really important. So um, self-awareness is key. What pushed you to leave the, the corporate world ultimately? I would say nothing really pushed me as much as I felt told, I felt I had an opportunity and it was a clear path of decisions. It was do you want to start creating this? I, I wouldn't even call it a company. I would say a concept, an idea. Do you want to invest all that time in this idea? Um, and what I did was, again, as a low risk thing, and I think something that a lot of successful entrepreneurs have advised is, you know, do not quit your day job and see if you can prove it out while you still have income or that security. What For me, I loved my career and I, it was, it was financial stability and all that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm generally a conservative person. So I worked and I double hatted for a year and a half and came up with the concept, incorporated, developed, launched, sold, did samplings, you know, went to stores, did the whole bit while also maintaining my day job. And then in every waking moment, do research on the industry to understand. I spent a lot of time researching um, lessons learned and also networking in the industry with people who were, maybe they were with Coca-Cola or I found a woman on LinkedIn who had a failed mocktail company. I spoke with one of the founders of LifeAid, that beverage, it's very, big now. And, yeah. and so I would talk to these people and just ask them straight up, you know, what is the biggest mistake you've made that you wish you could avoid? You know, what advice do you have? You know, here's where I'm at. And um, it's kind of like what you said about working in corporate and fast tracking your knowledge. I was able to really quickly um, skill up on beverage. And then what pushed me to cut the cord was I was just working all the time, you know, and, and I, and I saw enough results and progress and in selling into like that bath and beyond we had landed Wegmans and I'm like, I think I have something here. And so that's when it became a family decision. I call it team Taylor, my husband and I, where I was like, I don't know if I should quit. And so it took me a couple weeks of soul searching. And that's where I was like, when my husband said, you can always go back. I'm like, then I, it's time. Let's do it. And that's when I 
you know, made the decision. And and now to, I had regrets like every day for like the next six months when I was working full-time, I'm like, what, you know, doing this full-time, I'm like, is this really going to work? You know, is this really my job? Yeah. Is, and there was more than enough work there to show that it, there was. And then seeing the, the exponential progress because I was fully vested emotionally, physically, mentally, that then things started really to click. I was going to ask you about the experience of leaving. I feel like a lot of people imagine that it would be like liberating after, but I think it's hard to separate and detach from like the identity that you have wrapped up in your job and in the entrepreneurial world. At least what I've found is that you are basically like no one the whole time because there's nobody, there's no like bigger organization behind you. You're just trying to like figure out how to move things forward in the best way possible. And I've seen a lot of people that I used to work with that have had a tough time, like almost like accepting the new reality of their, of the game that they're playing. So what I would say is, you know, my first thought is, and this is hindsight is 2020, knowing what my vision was for this company and this brand, I always focused on that and tried not to focus on, I'm losing my identity as a senior sales director for an amazing high growth company with, with stock and, yes. you know, <laughs> RSUs or, you know, the insurance and benefits and paid vacation. Like the, the things I miss are paid vacation and boundaries. Everything else I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but when I focused on what I wanted to accomplish and I applied my skill set of analyzing business opportunities, that other stuff didn't bother me anymore. Fast forward, it Especially over COVID, I, I have always maintained a very healthy business network and, and business relationships with people, you know, so far back in my career um, that I still get pings all the time on LinkedIn who of, of leaders and um, previous coworkers who are rooting me on. And wow, Laura, so impressive. I like just every time I have a post, at least half of the comments are from people who were my old boss or, you know, just in my ecosystem. And I've gone back and sold Mingle into them as part of corporate programs. So to me, um, going back and reconnecting with those people in a different way, I feel like I've come into my own. Initially, they're like, what is this crazy woman do? Why did, why did Laura leave her job to start a drink company? And fast forward, they're like, well, I didn't realize she went through this journey of quitting alcohol and seeing an opportunity. And when people look at the, you know, kind of my journey more closely, they're like, they, they feel, I think, connected to the mission of the brand where, wow, I have a friend or a brother or, you know, I quit drinking and what Laura's doing is really cool. So it makes it a lot more uh, mission driven and people love that. Yeah. I feel like if you have a more meaningful reason behind it, it's probably easier to focus your energy into that area. Uh, what was your drinking pattern like at its worst? Uh, um, I would say uh, 
very much, you know, a high stakes, work hard, play hard type culture. And so, you know, I was definitely a workaholic. Um, I would also say I, I, at towards the end of my drinking journey, I was a functioning, a highly functioning alcoholic. And what it looked like was, um, you know, I'd love a glass of wine. Of course, it would be like the best red on the menu, you know, some vintage, whatever, whatever, fancy overpriced bottle, because those were the people who we were working with. And so that was cool. But, um, you know, turning to a couple glasses of wine to wind down and, and just relax turned into turning to a couple glasses of wine just to like, tune out the noise, because I, I always had so much on my mind, I got to do this, I got to do that. And, um, I would say that towards the end of my drinking journey, um, I turned to alcohol to to relax, to check out, to kind of like quiet the noise, to reward myself after a really long day of working. And I, I used it as a coping mechanism to deal with stress and anxiety. And once I put the drink down and I had to because I saw that, you know, it was impacting my family. Like I knew it, I knew I was drinking too much, but I, I saw like, I don't want to lose connection with my family. I'm a mother, I'm an employee, I'm a boss, you know. Um, Did anyone know you were having a challenge with this? I would only... My husband would make the occasional comment, but he didn't really say like, you got to stop. Um, I would reveal my concerns to my sisters and my very best friend and then my mom. So um, I think that's the challenge with alcohol is it's, it's a legal substance, right? So, and so many people enjoy it. Yeah. So if somebody who drinks a lot, who's drinking with you says you're drinking too much, then they have to look at their drinking. So I think there's a whole stigma around alcohol in general that is has gotten a much much less and much more healthy now where people can have that dialogue but back in the day people wouldn't say hey laura you need to stop drinking i just remember going hey laura i need to stop drinking you know i just knew yeah how did you uh how did you stop um it took me about like i'd say nine months to a year of just trying to stop and trying to stop. And I'd go for three months without drinking. And then I, you know, lose my willpower here and there. But after like a couple stretches, I just felt so much better right away. I mean, that's the thing. I felt, I felt better right away when I quit drinking, but it wasn't like, it was hard for me to stop because I didn't have anything. When I go to those work concerts at the Las Vegas Strip that they close down and have this fabulous band. And I go to the bar and they'd say, we have beer and wine. And I'd say, do you have anything else? They're like, we have water. Or my old boss would say, here's, here, Laura, here's your white wine. And, and so the thing, that's really what sparked the need for what I was looking for, which was if I had something else to put in my hand that felt as special or as, you know, exciting or fun as a glass of white wine or a cocktail, that's what I drink instead of alcohol. So, you know, had I had something like mingle, I think it would have been so much easier to give up 
drinking. Yeah, the work and social, honestly, the work aspect of it is so difficult. I don't really drink ever. I mean, I might have like a sip of a beer. I'll like open a beer and literally have one sip and then pour the rest of it out uh, because it's more like the idea of having a beer that I like than like even really drinking. But when I was younger and I was working in like also in like fashion and the footwear industry, like you didn't want to drink and you were on those teams or like traveling with those people, I feel like you would have such a hard time. I remember one time we were in uh, Berlin and I was like, because I didn't go to school, I had gotten hired so young. They didn't even know how old I was. I had just turned 21 and we were in Berlin or something. And we went to dinner with like a big group of 20 people. They're all like much higher up in the company. They're like what you described, like extremely in and interested in wine. And they order a bottle and they, they have me sample it. And I'm a 21-year-old kid. I don't know anything about wine. And I, I like, but I didn't care because I was so young. So I just said, like, I have no interest in this. Like, it's not cool for me, but you know what this is. And, but I feel like that culture, you could get wrapped up in it. And it also looks good to those people. Like, uh, you know, it's like a status. Like, I remember some of, like, the executive, like, uh, board members of VF, like, they were, like, extremely interested in high-end watches, going on trips to watch factories. And it's, like, if you could talk to them about those interests, you were, like, 10 steps beyond by default, even though it has nothing to do with anything we were working on. I do feel that, though, today, nowadays, there's more thoughtfulness around um, just people's preferences or, like, it started out with dietary um, preferences. The, the, what I saw when I was exploring this space and, and wishing I had a non-alcoholic mocktail or a cocktail, um, I saw the emergence of Better For You products just throwing down, like, plant-based, you know, almond milk was starting to come online and um, kombucha and all these better for you options. And I was like, this has got to, this has got to spill over to alcohol, you know, for, for alcohol free options. So now that there is an awareness of companies and individuals being more thoughtful, I think that there's a much greater acceptance of People, whether they're vegetarian or gluten-free or want to be alcohol-free, I think it's a lot more uh, accepting of a working environment in general. And I could just say that like when you go to, I don't, I haven't been to a company uh, cafeteria for a while, but you're going to see vegetarian options. You might see a Beyond Burger or something, and that's a lot more normal nowadays. So I do feel that that kind of shift yeah. has taken place across the board into alcohol free just by looking at menus and such and seeing that um seeing restaurants like say here are non-alcoholic beers and wines and such when you had the idea did you use like any of your uh strategic frameworks that you had learned in your consulting days to build the idea of the business i i recently learned 
I didn't really even learn about this, but I heard of the, I think it's Bain Consulting that created, uh, it's like an, a, a way to analyze validity of businesses in a matrix. Like a methodology? Yeah. And uh, I guess that's like how they grew, really like how they became established and grew and created a moat around it. I just didn't really have any idea that some of those cons like larger consulting businesses had actual like IP around strategic frameworks. Oh, for sure. That's a huge part of it. And I mean, I think I won't, I won't comment on the effectiveness of some of those frameworks, but <laughs> I will say that going back to the discipline of evaluating challenges and my process around decision-making and creating a business plan and a strategy. I mean, I loved creating PowerPoints and now I love creating Canva decks. Like I, I grew up in a, especially at my last company at Tableau, it's all about data and using data to validate and look for trends and insights. Um, uh, their, their slogan is we help people see and understand their data, you know? And so as I stepped into this category of adult non-alcoholic beverages, the first thing I did was looked online for um, analyst reports by Gartner or anyone. And now the, 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 the top uh, analyst report is done by Nielsen IQ. So it's the same kind of thing as a, a Bain, you know, type of methodology where Nielsen put together their summary of all their findings. But taking a step back, I went into this initials process of exploring and eventually developing and launching a brand with the mindset of, you know, here is this problem which requires a product and a solution, what's my strategy? And putting a thoughtful strategy around it based on who am I selling to? What channels to market and am I gonna to take to get there? Who's my end customer? Who's, you know, who is buying this product? And how do I get to those people and those organizations? I initially thought about it in that more analytical mindset. It wasn't like, hey, I want to make 10 bajillion dollars, which would be a nice outcome. But my, <laughs> my mindset was, I want Mingle to be sold and served wherever alcohol is sold and served so everyone feels part of the party. So when you go into a, you know, a business where you have that end goal in mind, it's a much, for me, it was a very easy, enjoyable and a fun way for me to build the brand. Did you, how did you initially launch? Did you bootstrap the business for some time uh, before raising money? What did that look like? Yeah, um, that's where I had to like, you know, Team Taylor came into play where I had to talk to my husband and be <laughs> like, well, I earned all this money and now, you know, uh, here, here we go. Like, <laughs> Like, okay, um, it's weird to go from, you know, building savings to like operating at a loss within just by quitting your job. But um, I invested my own money to establish and launch the first 
initial product. And I did that for about, like I said, it was about a year, a year and a half before I was like, okay, I think I need investors. And that was all in a very new, new thing for me that never had any interest or appeal, or I didn't really want to understand that world, but I had to get ramped up really fast. So from there, um, you mean the, the investor and uh, venture funding world? Yeah, I'd never really paid attention to it other than, you know, we know people, lots of people in that financial universe. But what I ended up doing is um, I had already, you know, when I did network with some people and get their feedback on do's and don'ts and insights and validating my concept, um, a few of them ended up investing because they believed in my passion and focus on what I wanted to accomplish. So I got a little bit of friends and family money to kind of take the risk off me a little bit. And then um, I had to continue to fundraise through that friends and family network a couple times to, uh, because otherwise, you know, my husband was like, we're done, you know. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so that's. Tim Taylor was was out yeah teen taylor was like well, yeah the, the bank the, the the account is closed to you do not touch it anymore <laughs> so but that's right i mean i shouldn't have to i even have one of my investors say you know you need to you can't take on any more risk you you need to like share that risk so um yeah so i bootstrapped it for a couple of years got some friends and family and have continued to go that route to keep capital, you know, where it needs to be. What does the business look like today? Um, well, I've got a team of folks. I've got a small team of direct reports and employees, and I've continued to engage best of breed organizations or agencies and business partners to help me um, fulfill some areas like uh, marketing and public relations, graphic design, digital advertising, uh, e-commerce fulfillment, warehousing. I have, I have established relationships and partnerships with these, most of these functions from the moment I made my first product and I've just continued to, to grow with them. So I have a lean team and I have outsourced functions. So I don't have a ton of overhead. Um, I, I think I've surrounded myself with really good people and partners who, uh, not only believe in me and see the opportunity I see, but are willing to work with me as, you know, I continue to sometimes make mistakes or try new things or push into different areas. You know, they're, they're alongside with me in that journey. How has it been growing the brand? Uh, I know you had experience in the space, but also different growing brand revenue-wise in retail. Yeah, I would say this last um, two years has been incredibly exciting. Um, when we expanded the line to include 12-ounce sleek cans, I did the research on the spirit side and saw that RTD or ready-to-drink cocktails was really blowing up with like high noon and the seltzer game was already hot with like white claws and all that. But um, 
I knew that if I did not start innovating with single serve ready to drink cans, that my brand may not grow. And so thank goodness I pushed into that because as a result, we really were able to accelerate sales and get more velocity with retailers with the cans and show that not only is this brand solid, but now we are growing on a much bigger scale because people love the ready to drink cans, you know, and that, that ready to drink space was also really starting to take off and non out. So as a result, we went from, you know, having like a couple hundred stores that, you know, were, were very small with maybe one or two chains to now, you know, we're in Whole Foods nationally, we're in all Wegmans locations, we're in CVS and Total Wine all locations. And all these wonderful retailers are seeing the growth of our brand and continuing to, uh, you know, happy to support the growth. Like they're seeing the demand with their customer base. So before where I used to have to push my way in and educate buyers on what this category is and why they should care, it's now them saying, you know, you're now like our top selling non-alc adult beverage in our section, you know? So it's really been a great, um, great trajectory, a great transition for us. But as I say that, it doesn't mean I can just sit back and go, great, we won. No, now I'm like, okay, how do we continue to accelerate? What are we doing in innovation and tackling new channels, how are we going to continue to um, push this brand forward? So I'm always thinking about that. And um, for now, we're just continuing to lean into retail. We're getting into some exciting hospitality venues and, you know, the liquor, getting into liquor was very important. So we've gotten into some great liquor chains like Binnie's in Chicago. And um, then what's next is We'll be launching with an amazing national spirits distributor, which will, will, if we support it and really, you know, together uh, partner in a productive manner, we'll really have a, you know, continue to grow the way I hope will grow. How do you, um, how do you structure your time? You seem very strategic also inside of a company where things are changing fast. You have to make short-term and long-term bets simultaneously and manage kind of both priorities alongside each other. Well, there's no such thing as balance. I would say that now, today, like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not working till 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. What I've found is I've got enough people to do work where it, it's not all falling on me. So one thing I'm trying to always do is look for ways to delegate things that somebody on my team can do to free that up, um, which has been, that's been a, it was initially a challenge for me because I, it was just me for so long. So to hand over the reins on even small decisions was a little tough, but that's been one thing. So. Um, how I manage and prioritize my time today is it's easy to get distracted, but I heard somebody say on a, on a podcast recently, like 
at the end of the day, just focus on your customer, you know, and make sure you are reaching that customer and thinking about your customer and to try to not get caught up in the noise. So for me, I think about that and I think about what I need to be doing today to position ourselves with retailers or customers or distributors that will, what am I doing today to get us those wins next year? Because it is a longer sales cycle. So, I mean, there's no easy answer, but I think it's just trying to always prioritize what's important on a daily and hourly basis and just picking what what you got to do right then and there. You know, I've got a whiteboard and I think I've, I've done a lot of these things, but um, everyday <laughs> stuff doesn't get done. And I've been a little bit okay with that. That's always a... Uh, I feel like a learning curve. I also uh, have heard someone say like the problem with most digital work these days is that digital work has no upfront costs. Like you could say you want to do it all and all, you want to do it all right now. You don't have to like buy raw materials for it. But uh, because of that, it's much harder to prioritize the work and you can get caught just doing endless amounts of work that aren't actually all that effective. Rather work on um, redesigning our influencer box and like coming up with new slogans than the things that I have to do today, you know, but yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I save those things as, as rewards at the end of the day. If I get everything else done, I'm like, so that's kind of the other thing is I play little games with myself to say, you have to do this yucky stuff. You got to look at your operating plan or, you know, reconcile or meet with the accountant or whatever. But then you get to, you know, work on picking new colors for something or, you know, just something mindless and fun. So I try to yeah. sprinkle that in there. Do you check in regularly with advisors or? Um... Yeah, how do you cultivate outside voices to help you navigate? I have learned that I've, especially in the last year, I've had a lot of people come out of the woodwork offering to be advisors, you know, just because. And, and I think for me, uh, my friends and family investor community has been great. And um, I'll go out to them with asks. Last night, a guy called me back. He's like, hey, did you get what you needed here? Because I got a guy. And I'm like, no, I'm, I got it. He's like, okay, I just want to make sure. So I really, I like to check in with my investors as well so that they are, they feel part of this and see what's going on. And I, I think I do a great job of communicating with them. I always send out updates at least quarterly and keep them up to date on big news and advancements. But for advisors, I have a uh, informal network of, of advisors and a couple formals, and um, it's been really great. So how I cultivate that is just based on need. Um, and I've also tapped into people throughout these last six years. I'll go back to people. You know, the guy who designed my updated bottle label four years ago, I'll check in with him like every six months. And he's since gone on to do really cool things. So Going back to like how I managed my old work relationships, it's no different here where if I have a challenge, I think about who I know in my network who can help me or who 
you know, maybe they know somebody and that's the term advisor I use very loosely, but I have a couple formals, um, but I work on leveraging my network to fill the gaps as much as possible. I've always been able to do that pretty effectively. Pretty amazing to hear all the retailers uh, and how far you've come. Congrats on everything so Thank far. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is exciting to actually see that and write it and let it sit with me. My lead salesperson will often, after we have a big win, she'll stop me and she'll say, okay, Laura, let's celebrate this moment. Let's, let's take a pause because she knows that, and I've done a better job of that as well as not sprinting to the next thing, but going, all right, this is what happens when your hard work pays off. This is the fruits of our labor. And it's been a much, it's, it's helped me kind of keep my mindset a little more, I won't say balanced because there's no such thing, but it gives me a healthier perspective on things. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, something I need to work on also. I, that's why I, I always say my journey. Cause I feel like, you know, there's no ending. It's just a constant, just different experiences. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was great to meet you. And I loved hearing the story in the background. I appreciate it. This was super conversational. I think we could talk forever. Thank you so much. I would love to stay in touch too. Receive, receive, receive,